According to the National Park Service website, nps.gov, nearly 2,000 people remain missing in national and state parks. Where did they go? And what may have taken them? You're watching Darkness Prevails, the best channel to share your creepy stories with the world, because this world is a strange one. The government knows people go missing far too often in state and national parks. The number is so high that some are beginning to wonder not just how they went missing, but what may have taken them. Well, tonight, we're looking into some allegedly true stories of the horrifying encounters that often take place in state parks. If you want to be in a future video, I'm looking for scary MySpace stories now. You can send your experiences to me with the links in the description. And hey, check out morbidmonsters.com for some Darkness Prevails mugs, stickers, and decals. Real quick, here are my favorite early comments from my previous video on 10 true scary stories from Wendy's. Krebs says, now I'm not hungry. Well, when someone does that to your chili, it might make you nauseous for a while. Pharaoh says, these videos are so creamy. That's disappointing. I was going for dank, not creamy. Kane Sevenify says, found more fingers in the chili, eh? That's not even the half of it. Diabolic Nebula says, the scariest thing about Wendy's is how savage their Twitter is. Man, I better up my tweet game then. And Mark the Mediocre says, Wendy's fries are gross, don't at me. It's too late, Mark, you diss the fries that I love. Anyway, let's go hiking at the state park and see what starts following us. Number one, Terrorized Alone in the Woods, submitted by Figwiggle. Here's my story of when I drove off the beaten path to end up being possibly the most scared I've ever been. At the time, I was 26 years old and I loved traveling around Australia, camping in my van, usually by myself. And 99% of the time, these were all amazing experiences. On this particular trip, I was heading from Mount Kosciuszko in southern New South Wales, north towards the Blue Mountains, but I wanted to break up the drive for a night by camping in a state park and maybe take a shot or two at some rabbits with my longbow. I found what I thought to be the perfect isolated state park where hunting was allowed, and since it was midweek, the weather wasn't amazing. I figured I'd have the mountains mostly to myself. I had not taken into account the quality of the back roads to access the camping site. They were very badly maintained rock and dirt tracks that my tiny Toyota van struggled with. It took me over an hour to travel the 30 kilometers to the campsite, swearing to myself often as I rattled over yet another patch of corrugated dirt with the rear end of my van spinning out behind me. I was feeling grim and tense when I finally pulled up into the site, but I relaxed pretty quickly as the site was empty of people and I could see rabbits hopping around about 200 meters away in a meadow. As soon as I pulled up beside a designated fire pit, I strung my bow and headed after them. The little guys had obviously already been hunted a few times before though, as they were too skittish to get close enough to for a confident shot. 
After some tries and fails, I let the rabbits go about their rabbit lives and headed back to the van, where I started a fire, poured a glass of whiskey, and lit a cigarette. Enjoying being out here in solitude and knowing that the closest population of people was over an hour's drive away. Now, I loved being by myself in the bush, but I've got this weird intuition thing that lets me know when I've landed in a safe space or not. A couple of times in the past, I've driven into a potential site, and after a while, I get this pressure in my chest and stomach, and when that happens, I bail, no questions asked. After sitting around my fire for a while, I did begin to feel this pressure slightly, but after another whiskey, I decided to ignore it this time. It was far too late in the evening to tackle that road, and I was over the legal driving limit by now after that second whiskey. Truth be told, I was probably over the limit after my first glass, so I just sat there drinking, smoking, and watching the sun go down. The sun disappeared quickly, as I was in the bowl of a small valley with looming mountains all around me, and after watching the first stars appear, I decided to call it a night. I dropped two pairs of shoes outside my van door. One was a small pair of sandals, and the other was my massive hiking boots. I always do this when camping alone, because I hope any creepers might think there's a man in the van, a big one, and leave me alone. I fell asleep pretty quickly. But the sound of a gunshot around midnight woke me straight up. It sounded like it was on the other side of the mountain range to my left, so I largely ignored it. Maybe I wasn't as alone as I thought I was, and that there were hunters out there after deer or wild pig. I fell back to sleep pretty quickly, but I didn't sleep as well as I did before. I was awakened again by a much louder gunshot, and it was about an hour later. This one had definitely been fired somewhere inside my little bowl in the bush, and it was a larger caliber rifle. The echo was huge in this confined valley. I was beginning to feel nervous. What if they were taking shots, and my van happened to be in the way if they missed their target? I peeked through my curtains and saw my fire still had a few glowing embers. I hoped that the hunters might see it and know not to shoot in my direction. That was my biggest concern at the time. I had no idea things were about to get much, much worse. For the next hour or so, I drifted in and out of sleep, snapping awake and aware of even the smallest noise. On one of these bouts of drifting in and out of consciousness, I heard a sound that had me sit straight up in bed. I hit my head on the roof of the van pretty hard by accident, but I did not even notice at that point, as I was concentrating so hard on the noise that had awoke me. Tires, tires rolling and grinding on the rocky dirt track leading to my campsite. Now I'm sure there could have been a few reasonable explanations for a car taking this isolated dead end road at three in the morning. I even tried to think of a few, but I failed because I was so nervous and I just sat there in my bed, straining my ears to the utmost 
trying to figure out what this car was doing. Suddenly, my van was filled with a shockingly bright light as the mystery car turned into the campsite and stared down my van. I waited for the headlights to swing away, but they didn't. I couldn't see the car. My van has curtains at every window, and like crazy, I was parting them to give whoever was out there a good look into the van and at me. I was already feeling pretty spooked, but my terror rose sky high as I realized the car was now slowly driving towards me. The lights got brighter, the rumble of the diesel engine got louder, and what sounded like the world's heaviest and biggest tires rumbled and popped at the rocks underneath them. By then, I was frozen in place, too terrified to move even a muscle, as the four-wheeled beast kept slowly moving forward until it was nose to nose with my tiny van. The headlights were so blinding, even through my curtains, that I had to turn back to face the other way, with my back towards the front of my van. Then, I almost wet myself. Whoever was driving that car started revving the engine over and over, harder and longer each time. It was the most aggressive sound I'd ever heard coming from a machine, and I honestly can't tell you how freaking scared I was. I didn't know it was possible to feel more terror than I was already feeling, but I found out quickly it is always possible to reach higher levels of fear, because that was when the doors opened. They had exited their car, and they were coming closer. I broke the trance of fear long enough to grab my six-inch hunting knife from the shelf above my head. I gripped it with white knuckles as I listened to a pair of heavy footsteps start to walk slowly towards my van. The other person must have been standing just outside their car watching and waiting, as I didn't hear the second pair of footsteps. Maybe they were more stealthy and quiet, who knows. All I know is that I was straining my ears, and I was focused solely on the slow, purposeful steps of the first stranger as they stopped beside the sliding door of my van, right where I had dumped my two pairs of shoes. My van was locked at every entry point, but a hundred what-if scenarios were running at light speed through my head. Maybe I could dive into the driver's seat of the van and belt out of there. Fat chance, with them being parked right in front of me. Even if I did manage to drive around them, I still had 30 kilometers of rough bush road to navigate. Bush tracks that their far superior car could manage with ease. I'd be run down before I'd even gone 100 meters. I could string my bow and jump out to confront them, but then I'd never been that keen on suicide. So I thought I'd give that one a miss. I didn't even have a map of the area, so running like a scared rabbit into the bush wasn't even an option. Oh, the irony. So what I did was wait, frozen in my sitting position, still white-knuckling my knife, while person one finally moved away from the side door of my van back to the car. Their engine revved again and again, as if trying to scare me out, and I still sat there. I sat still for what felt like hours, 
but it was most likely just a few minutes, as I vaguely heard voices under the rumble of the engine. I couldn't make out a word, but the voices sounded masculine, and eventually, they just got in their car and slowly rolled away. I know how anticlimactic that sounds, but honestly, I don't really care a whole bunch. At the time, I was filled with so much relief, I was almost high off of it, and at the same time, I was so exhausted from the adrenaline, I felt I could sleep a week straight. I didn't sleep, though. Thoughts of them just hiding around the corner of the road waiting for me to make a break for it were running through my head, as irrational as that may have sounded. I think the most confusing thing was having absolutely no idea what they wanted. They could have just been hunters, I heard, who maybe saw my fire and thought they'd come down to say hi, do a bit of lighthearted terrorizing, or they could have had much darker things on their mind. Maybe they were locals who wanted to play a prank to relieve their small town boredom. Anyone wants to shed some light on it, go for it. After 20 minutes of silence, I finally managed to pry my fingers off the handle of my knife, one by one, using my left hand to do it. I put my knife beside me on the bed and sat staring glassy-eyed at the curtain on my rear window with my knees pulled to my chest until faint light filtered through the material, turning my interior from black to smoky morning gray. I peeked out at the pre-dawn day and saw no car, no other people, just more rabbits who I now could not find the heart or motivation to hunt. I opened the sliding door and struggled outside feeling like I was in a dream. I made a cup of the strongest coffee in the world and sipped it while staring distractedly at the footprints surrounding my van. Then I got into the driver's seat and drove an hour back to the main road. I kept expecting to see the car around each hidden bend, but really, I would have no idea if I saw it or not. I never saw anything of the vehicle or men who terrorized me, so that was that. I drove up to the Blue Mountains and met up with some Belgian friends and ended up sticking with them for the rest of the six-week trip. But I never forgot the feeling of being that scared, that helpless, that alone. Rarely, if ever, do I choose to camp in an empty campsite now. Now I'd rather move on to another one, filled with people. I have a few more stories of scares in the woods, and if you like this one, I'll be sure to write it down. Thank you for listening. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties you play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club 
where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The following story appeared in a previous video titled, Five Supernatural Horror Stories. Number two, a New Mexican Dogman, submitted by Caleb R. I've heard of the Dogman, even before this experience, and even if I did have a camera at the time that this took place, I'm not sure if I would have had the courage to use it. It was during a camping trip at a place here in New Mexico called Oasis State Park. Back then, my church had many children running around, and I made good friends with one of them. I was close enough with him to be invited on a camping trip with his family. It was four of us, his father, his little sister, him, and me. Of course, I brought everything from a Bible. I don't exactly know why. Spare clothes, a small pocket knife, a lantern, my sleeping bag, and my own tent, along with the basic essentials like socks, toothbrush, and toothpaste. Everything I thought I'd need for a good three-day camping trip. It probably doesn't bear much importance, but out of the kids, I was the oldest at the age of 12. Ryan was a few weeks younger than me, and his sister was around eight. I'm 19 now, so this was several years ago. The first day we set up our tents and proceeded to have a fantastic time. Me and Ryan finished setting up our stuff and walked down to a pond not too far from the tents. The trail to it was literally next to the campsite. I find it important now to mention that yes, there were trees, but not in the same way as a forest. These were small, feeble trees, clearly recently planted, and obviously barely surviving. I only remember them faintly, as I really didn't focus on the shrubbery, short of collecting sticks and watching out for cacti, whenever me and Ryan explored the trail. Anyway, like I was saying, me and Ryan were having a blast, even if we had to drag his sister around because she was bored and couldn't explore alone. We saw a scary yet gorgeous looking snake that was shiny and black. It was down at the pond getting a drink. Once it was done, it shot off into the brush. Other than that, only two other features of this park were important. The bathroom was up a slight incline along the trail, being maybe two or three campsites away from ours. That and a bunch of sand dunes built around rocky pillars, natural pillars like thin mesas, set ahead of our campsite, maybe three campsites away. Beyond those pillars was a fenced off, very flat and very dry area, if I remember correctly. The bathroom from the front of my tent was to the left, and the dunes directly ahead through a badly kept trail. The first day was fine, and that night we got a campfire going. We had s'mores, told scary stories to each other, their dad told the only scary stories that night, 
and I'm sure the man's faith affected the gore level of the story considering we were kids. It was about some abandoned building with ghosts or something, and it wasn't actually scary. I went to bed that night, expecting a cold but peaceful sleep. At some point, I woke up and had to use the bathroom. I didn't feel like walking all the way to the bathroom. Lazy me, right? So I just went ahead and urinated on a small birch tree that sat literally four feet away from my tent. After that, I was back asleep in my tent. I don't remember how long I was asleep before waking up to the feeling of needing to do number two. It had just rained. I could tell from a tiny leak in the tent and I wasn't about to go poop on a tree. Well, my little LED lantern wasn't very strong and now my shoes were outside the tent completely wet, but I needed to go and this wasn't going to wait, so I decided to just deal with it. Like literally every tent I've ever owned and probably every tent out there, mine had two doors, not a front and back door, but a zipped shut door with a zipped shut screen door outside that. That way you could see outside your tent without leaving or having a few mosquitoes move in for the night. So of course, having heard coyote howls, I wanted to check the outside of my tent before stepping out completely and also being a kid. I didn't realize how easily a wild hungry coyote could rip through my flimsy nylon screen, yet it still felt safe. So I unzip the tent door and turn on my LED lantern. For a few seconds, everything seemed clear and the rain had already stopped. Welcome to New Mexico weather. So I decided it would be safe. I began to unzip the tent screen when I heard a very loud howl, like a coyote's but much, much deeper. If you've ever heard coyotes, they can get pretty high-pitched, so this sound was just weird. It took a moment for my ADHD self to stop focusing on the weird pitch and realize that the howl sounded close, like from the pond close. I didn't even really think to turn off my lantern. I just went to close the tent flap. About a third of the way done zipping the actual tent flap shut, I hear crunching, like when you're on a pebble-filled playground and somebody is casually walking. This is because the tent sites had pebble flooring, just a bunch of tiny little pebbles in a big open circle to make a smoother camp area. Not only was the howl odd, but the footsteps themselves were weird. A fair bit of time between each footstep and it sounded like they were being dragged with each step, like claws. Well, ADHD, me, froze in my task, and thousands of ideas distracted me from closing the tent. Sure enough, I took just long enough for the creature in our sight to find the front of my tent. I instantly froze. For the first time in my life, my mind was truly, honestly blank. Sure, I don't think things through, but I never sit and think about nothing. This thing was huge from what my crappy lantern showed. It was big, 
and a mix of colors on its back, all ranging in random patterns of brown and black fur. It was rather bulky on top, but not like a bodybuilder, more like natural solid muscle that might have been made from lots of running. Furthermore, it was thin in the middle and had stocky legs and arms, the legs by the hips stockier than any other part of its limbs. Aside from that, I note that its fur was brighter than most dogman depictions I've seen, like on the muzzle, which was whitish along the bottom. Now, I've done some research on dogmen since then, and like most depictions and descriptions of it, it had smaller ears and glowing eyes, most likely reflecting my lantern. If you want an idea to base its ears off of, they sat directly on top of it like a cat trying to hear something. At some point, it leaned down, and it sniffed the tree before turning to me and looking me in the eye for a moment. But the thing is, when it leaned down, its hind legs made some strange popping sounds, like your knuckles, but much louder. I looked into those eyes, though, and I swear I've never been more afraid in my life. Have you ever looked at something, just looked it in the eyes and realized you're the prey? That primal fear that extends beyond normal fear when you realize that this thing looking back at you has all the power, that you are its prey and it has no discernible mercy. I felt that right then, knowing that no tent wall was stopping that beast if it wanted to crush my skull in its jaws. I never went to the bathroom. I know what some people are gonna say. It was just some weirdo with coyote skin or a fake fur coat. It couldn't have been. The fur wasn't very thick, so I could see the muscles ripple as it moved. Plus, the fur was flesh with its disjointed body. Stranger yet, before it moved off into the darkness, it lowered to all fours, and when it did this, its knees made more of the popping sound. The sound of bone hitting bone awkwardly in your body, or like pieces cracking off. Its knees had to disjoint and slide into a different position for it to run on all fours. This was my experience, and some might call it bull, but whatever. My friend and his family heard the howl but ignored it thinking it would go away, so I know I didn't imagine at least that part. Other than that, the next morning, I had somehow held in my business all night and was only willing to come out when everyone else was awake. There were indeed tracks on the sand dunes that a ranger said were coyote tracks, but other than that, no sign remained, aside from the loud howl that scared any campers that were still awake. If you ask me why it didn't kill me, I'll say I'm not sure. Maybe it was the Bible. Maybe it didn't care for the taste of children. Maybe it knew the whole campsite would wake up if it tried something. So for all we knew, it let me live by circumstance alone. Either way, that's all I got. Since then, I've been fascinated by the dogmen. I'm giving out this story so that others can learn from my experience. I want to know more about them, and if I can help others learn by sharing this experience, then that would be great. Just don't get too close if you encounter one, because from the looks of it, 
they could tear you apart with ease. Number three, Dead Youth's Bridge, submitted by Lauren E.T. This paranormal experience happened back in the summer of 2013 at Gifford Pinchot State Park in central Pennsylvania when I was around 10 years old, so it was about four years ago. The park's geography had a giant lake in the middle, surrounded by heavy woods that went into nearby properties and farms. It was a smaller park in size, with one small bridge for cars that went over the water in a little bay on Route 177. Next to it was one of the canoe launches, where families would launch their boats into the lake. Spending the summers there was quite enjoyable, since it was a true escape from people unless you saw the occasional hiker or boater that you would only see on busy weekends. It was a foggy Monday morning around 6 a.m. when the sun was just coming up. My father was meeting a friend at the canoe launch to hand over paperwork or something like that while me and my younger sister were playing in the ankle-high water near the bridge. Not even seconds after we stepped into the water, I got the uneasy feeling of being watched. It was truly strange as it hit me so fast. Me just being a kid, I brushed it off as my subconscious telling me to be careful. I was so wrong. After a few minutes of playing with my sister, a strange fog rolled in like a thick mist as I lost sight of her. Fear set in as I began screaming for my father while I searched for my sister. Then everything went quiet. My screaming seemed to be absorbed by the strange fog as nothing could be heard. I was standing there, aimlessly lost for what seemed like an eternity until the weird fog rolled away and I heard the soft giggle from my sister who was standing just a few feet away from me. I began nearly sobbing as I threw my arms around her as she shoved me off into the water. She asked what was wrong with me as I sat cluelessly in the water. I began speaking while almost screaming. I thought you were lost in the fog. She stood there dumbfounded and asked, what fog? I thought I was seeing things. I was here the whole time waving to the boy before you. I cut her off. What boy? The young boy under the bridge, she trailed off. I remember a look of horror that was spread across her face. She stood there in a daze for a few seconds before saying, Isn't the water over there too deep though? Every person who lived in the area knew this lake was almost bottomless. In fact, the canoe launch was only but a shallow bit of land and a few feet out from it, you would hit smack into a drop-off. It was basically a death trap, as so many people lost their lives over the years as their bodies were found in the water later, while some of their bodies sank to the bottom, I'm sure. I was almost certain she was just seeing things until I saw something standing just 10 yards away. It looked like a little boy until I stepped closer Many red flags went off. I mean, where were his parents? And how was he standing in that water? It was far too deep for any of us. This boy, oddly enough, was naked, 
and it appeared that his skin was loosely hanging from his abnormally pale body. The eyes, though. I remember seeing no eyes, more like two empty black holes instead. The whole face on the boy looked defected, as you could say. It didn't look like a person at all, more like a creature or a horrifying spirit. Turning back to my sister, I pointed toward the boy and asked, Is he the one? She answered, Yeah. I ended up dragging her out of the water while screaming for my dad to get the car, and we ended up crashing into my dad as he was finishing up talking to his friend. He took one look at us and asked in an angry tone, What's wrong? I began breaking down as I said it. There's something in the water, followed by me explaining what I saw. My sister, who was younger than me, was just standing there pissed, angry that I cut her fun short. My father must have thought I was telling the truth, though, because he ended the meeting early. We climbed into his truck and we drove away. But to get home, we had to drive over that bridge. I looked intensely through the window and saw an outline of a figure in the shallow water, right near where we were standing. I knew right then and there that it was the boy because we were the last to leave, meaning no one else was around. I learned a few years later that a few young kids drowned in the lake years before. As far as I know, there have been three. The boy could have been any one of them. I don't see this experience as a death's wish or an angry spirit looking for revenge, but instead maybe the remnant of a tragic end and a child who still wanted to play. Number four, something liked my music, submitted by Morali Go Mental. This story took place in a state park in Tennessee on my 12th birthday. We were having my birthday party out there. That year I got a load of gifts, including something I thought was awesome. A wireless keyboard that had batteries and a wall hookup so you could play it on the go if you wanted to. That being the case, I quickly asked my mom if I could play it and she said yes. I headed out into the woods away to be by myself so that the noise of the party didn't distract or overtake the music. It was beginning to get dark, but I was so excited that I thought I'd get back in no time. I found a huge, and I mean huge, tree, and I sat down next to it. I began to play some keyboard music. Before attempting to play Heartache from Undertale, since it was one of my favorite songs. I was having fun until I began to hear something. It was like a scream, but not from a person. It was one of the most horrifying things I'd ever heard in my young life. I wanted to scream back, but as the sound seemed distant, I forced myself to keep playing. But then, I heard it again, and once again, before I had had enough. I picked up my keyboard, and I walked away. Halfway back to the party, I suddenly heard a weird whistle. The thing was mimicking one of the songs I'd played. I began to walk faster, 
You might be wondering why I didn't just book it all the way. It's because I heard that running suddenly could exacerbate the creature's anger, make it want to pounce, really. I tried my best to keep calm and walked back, listening to the thing whistle at me. It was surprisingly melodic and accurate. I saw mom and everyone else at the site and soon I couldn't stop myself from running. I grabbed onto her tightly and soon we packed up and headed home. But I swear to God, when we pulled away from the state park, I saw a tall figure with long legs, a triangular head and short, dull antlers. And I couldn't help but think that that was the thing that had heard me playing my keyboard and that was coming towards the music. And number five, Not a Bear, submitted by Hayden M. Although this will be a short story, I feel it needs to be shared. To jump right in, I didn't believe in the paranormal or werewolves or Bigfoot. In fact, anything of the sort was just strange to me. My family and I go to Little River State Park every summer, located in Vermont. This was the first year I've seen anything out of the ordinary. It was 5 a.m., and I was down by the beach, sitting in the sand. I was soon terrified to see a large figure crawling out of the water. My instinct to run over took me, and I bolted back up the hill, hoping that I could outrun it. To my absolute horror, the thing was almost on top of me before I got anywhere. It was about two feet taller than me, standing at around nine feet tall on all fours. It was an unnatural crimson red, like an apple, with absolutely no fur. I was paralyzed with fear, and I could feel its warm, deep breaths on my face. Then, with miraculous timing, I saw a park ranger running towards me, and that's when, whatever the thing was, began to dart back down the hill, heading for the ocean. For the rest of the vacation, nothing strange happened, but I was left more than a little perturbed by the experience. I think I was in a state of shock for a while, and it took me years to get over what happened. But on the last day of that vacation, before we left, I glanced down the cliff near our campsite and was horrified to see the same creature standing on its hind legs staring up at me. Take this as a warning to all you campers around the world. Never go alone at night, even if you think you're close to your campsite. When you've got some free time, I highly recommend taking you and your family out to a state or national park to become one with nature for a while. Despite these stories, it really can be safe, but only if you're careful. As long as you don't forget that there are things out there that can make you part of the food chain once more, things that might even defy all reason and creepy people that get their jollies off by tormenting you. 
you'll be all right. But just in case, write your will, make sure it's ready, and bring like a dozen GPSs. Good night. Be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe if you enjoyed the video. And don't forget, you can send me your true scary stories using the links in the description. I'm currently looking for MySpace stories at the moment. Oh yeah, most of us don't even know what that is by now, I'm sure. If you want to support this channel, think about donating just $1 a month on my Patreon at patreon.com slash darknessprevails or get some really cool merchandise like shirts featuring your favorite monsters, my slogan, and more, or mugs and stickers and decals at morbidmonsters.com. And hey, if you want more content, subscribe to my second channel with the link in the description, Brintendo, so that you don't miss my upcoming gaming video on the top 10 creepiest Monster Hunter monsters. Anyway, as always, to my donators on Patreon, thank you for doing everything you can to help my channel. And to everyone still listening, thank you just for that. Stay safe out there, all of you, and stay creepy.